our beltway last week had a, a oil tanker spill over and block one side of the interstate for 12 hours. Commutes that normally take 45 minutes took upwards of five hours for folks to get home. The, the impact felt was not just acutely felt around the bridge, but it went miles and miles away from the site and people were impacted, real lives were felt. Um, that's just an example of the fragility of our system because we haven't thought about how to incent or encourage or invest in more than one transportation option. I'm John Lewis, and you're listening to 360 Degree City, a podcast where we talk to people who are working to make cities better. Our hope is that after each episode, you'll start to see your own city from a slightly different angle. 360 Degree City is brought to you by the team at Intelligent Futures. We're a team of versatile urban problem solvers, and our aim is to figure out better ways of living together. Our transportation systems have huge effects on our day-to-day lives. We rely on transportation infrastructure to get to work, drop our kids at school, attend cultural activities, and meet up with friends. And it's really, really hard to plan for effective transportation, especially on a regional scale. Lots of transportation systems, think buses, bike paths, or trains, often stop at municipal boundaries. And this may not seem like a big issue, but it can really be when people have to cross those boundaries. For today's episode, I wanted to talk to someone who's working to improve regional transportation systems and better the day-to-day experiences of folks that live in that region. My name is Joe McAndrew. I'm the Director of Transportation Policy with the Greater Washington Partnership. The partnership is a civic alliance of the leading employers and entrepreneurs stretching from Baltimore to Richmond, uh, putting their collective voice uh, together at the table to try to change key outcomes for the region, whether it be transportation, workforce related, or other issues uh, that are important for us to make sure that we have a, a thriving region, one that uh, you know has a high quality of life and one that, that we're proud to, proud to call home. I wanted to get a bit of an understanding of a commuter's experience in the capital region. So I asked my friend Kevin, who lives in Baltimore, to tell us a bit about his experience getting to work every day. Hi, my name is Kevin DeBell. I live in Baltimore, Maryland, and I commute every day to Washington, D.C., where I work at the Environmental Protection Agency. Uh, to get there, I walk to uh, Penn Station in Baltimore, take the Mark commuter train to Union Station in Washington, D.C., and then I take the Washington, D.C. Metro uh, to work. Uh, the whole thing takes me about 75 to 90 minutes each way. My experience uh, with the commute is largely positive, uh, but frankly, the worst part of my day is the Washington Metro. I don't mind my commuter rail train. Uh, it is generally on time and is pretty relaxed, uh, but the Metro is a bustle. It is overcrowded at rush hour. It frequently uh, is running late and people I find are just terrible to each other uh, on the train, uh, on the metro, excuse me. Uh, It is um, a really sort of dehumanizing experience to take the Washington metro these days. Uh, And I wish that I had time to uh, walk from from Union Station to work to avoid the metro altogether. Uh, But otherwise, uh, it takes too long and it'd be nice if there were uh, more express trains uh, between Baltimore and Washington, D.C. And I really wish that 
that there were more trains at night and on the weekends. I think that having the MARC train run on the weekends between Baltimore and Washington has been a wonderful thing. Uh, but uh, more trains will will con- increase the connection between the two cities and allow more people to uh, live in one and commute to the other, regardless of which way they're going. So overall, my experience uh, with the commute is that it's uh, something I've been doing for a long time. Uh, it has been good enough that uh, I continue to do it, but there are lots of ways in which it can be improved. The capital region is an example of an area that suffers from disjointed networks, aging infrastructure, and congestion. Located in eastern America, this region spans from Baltimore, Maryland, to Richmond, Virginia. In between is Washington, D.C., where the White House is located. Some folks define this area as a super region. It spans 54 counties, three states, and has 10.3 million residents. It has a pretty high GDP, too. A, a GDP that is the third largest in the U.S. and seventh largest in the world when you look at it, the scale with which we're talking. Mm-hmm. And I think it's important to think about it that way because, you know, we, we may have a few uh, natural borders, such as a river that, that uh, separates uh, Virginia, Washington, D.C., and Maryland. But the fact of the matter is, is that we truly are one region and we're stronger when we think about it uh, together. Every morning, commuters wake up, 50% of them, nearly 50% cross a county border from home to work and 20% cross a state border. Although the region has a high GDP and a large population, historically, it hasn't grown at a competitive rate in comparison to the rest of the country. The Greater Washington Partnership, a group of CEOs and entrepreneurs, decided to look at transportation and workforce issues as two key components that affect economic activity. Improved regional transportation was seen as a way to unlock more growth and diversify the region's economy beyond the federal government. Some of the businesses that have signed on to this partnership include Amazon, Under Armour, and Capital One. In this episode, Joe and I discuss how the Greater Washington Partnership formed and how it works, the blueprint for regional mobility and the changes that have been made since the blueprint was released, the role that private companies play in funding regional transportation, and the lessons learned about regional planning. So let's dive in. The partnership is uh, it's, it's described as the first of its kind, civic alliance of CEOs drawing from leading entrepreneurs and employers in the region. Uh, I'm interested to learn how that partnership uh, formed and came to be. Yeah, it's a great question. You know, our Genesis story really comes about uh, trying to secure uh, the Olympic bid for 2024. Some of uh, the C- CEOs that are at the board uh, for us uh, we're also part of the team working with the public, philanthropic, uh, and civic leaders um, for the region that we call the capital region from Baltimore to Richmond. Uh, they put in what I would consider to be a very competitive bid, but unfortunately, we're not successful. Uh, Boston won the bid and, and they declined, and now it, uh, the, the Olympics will occur in Los Angeles. But many of the challenges and the vision that we set out for as part of the bid Uh, showed that when we put our collective foot forward, uh, regardless of jurisdiction, we're stronger together. Uh, And and the challenges that we were trying to take on, whether it be infrastructure related or housing, uh, are real. And they didn't go away just because we lost uh, the Olympic bid. Uh, There was a bit of work uh, from some of the key folks at our table. 
that came together and formed uh, the partnership in December 2016, creating a table for the leading CEOs ultimately to get together and work collaboratively uh, to address many of the issues that that uh, were envisioned in the, the bid and, and others that were taking on, whether it be fixing our transit system, helping secure Amazon's headquarters, uh, et cetera. Hmm. Okay. Interesting. Because here in Calgary, we, we've just gone through, uh, you know, one of those fun, should we bid on the Olympic uh, conversations that cities uh, cities have. And I think that's a really exciting um, idea of um, not you know, if the bid wasn't successful, then the momentum and the thinking and the enthusiasm isn't lost. Um, I think that's a really smart, smart way to do that. Have you, have you seen other, uh, was this, was that inspired by any other, uh, communities that have done major bids of, you know, expos or Olympics or or things like that, or it just internally was just determined that this, there's a lot of, uh, enthusiasm and brain power and just let's, let's keep working with that. Yeah, you know, we're very proud of the region that we have. Uh, the identity is real and the opportunity is there. I, I wouldn't say there's a, a, an analog, uh, one for one per se, but um, the, the opportunity is too, too important uh, for us to continue to operate in vacuums or silos uh, that are uh, limited by the jurisdictional bounds with which we kind of uh, put ourselves in. And, mm-hmm. and how can we think and act at a regional level, uh, which is important uh, for us uh, here in this region. For sure. Okay. Uh, and, and so um, I'm curious, can you, can you talk about the relationship between um, the, the makeup of the partnership itself and how it interacts uh, with the 54 counties, three states, federal government, um, you know, I, I can I can understand how the complexity of that uh, that variety and diversity of of governance um, could stall progress in in a lot of ways with cross jurisdictional issues, and I and I understand that this is a, an attempt to uh, go above that and beyond that and address that. What's what's the relationship like with uh, the local, uh, state, and federal governments represented in the region? Yeah, I'd say you know just in a relationship basis, it's 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 relatively strong with with all of the public officials. We're we're a nonpartisan group that works with whoever's in office. Um, I think what's important to note for a group like ours, we're not necessarily uh, the only actors. There are many actors, uh, whether it be a chamber of commerce, an advocacy organization, or or philanthropic groups. Uh, what I think is important. To, to recognize is that uh, oftentimes many folks have their own priorities. And if I'm an elected official getting, uh, say, 10 priorities for a given year's budget uh, from influential key voices, um, you're it, it's tough to make everyone happy. It's tough to be able to take on those big things that are important and necessary to get done. And so it, for us, you know, we're working in partnership with many of the folks, uh, very diverse folks, whether it be uh, labor representation, environmentalists, advocates, and other business groups, to really kind of try to create a shared set of outcomes and goals and priorities. Because if we can all be speaking with uh, the same expectations, uh, the, the public officials understand where our North Star is, and it, and it becomes easier for them to understand what's needed from them. Uh, and then, you know, we can also go ahead and speed up the the uh, ultimate delivery of these key things, whether it be a new bridge in my world in transportation or working together to try to uh, grow the pipeline of tech 
uh, talent that we have here in the region. Hmm, okay, so so I, I guess in a in an ideal um, set of results, then uh, the work of the partnership really helps create a, a, a critical mass of. Well, I guess first of all, like you say, the North Star, the clarity of of prioritization and then a bit of a groundswell of you know because of your work you know that you have a support of a considerable a considerable uh, number and I guess diversity of constituents to go ahead and, and make those changes from a governmental perspective would that be an accurate way to, to kind of capture that certainly that yeah. would be our goal okay that yeah. would be our goal okay uh, so so the blueprint for for regional mobility uh, that that you've you've put together can you can you describe some of the the key elements of it and what what it intends to to achieve? Certainly, certainly. And I'll step back a little bit and kind of give you the genesis here a little bit. So when we were formed in 2016, the the CEOs at the table identified transportation as one of the key uh, challenges that they wanted a group like ours to take on. You know, I I, uh, provided the stat earlier that that we've got a region with folks traveling across borders on a daily basis from home to work. That's very real. But unfortunately, many of our transportation plans just don't operate or function at that scale because uh, one state can invest in in another state and, and oftentimes plans stop at a border. So, you know, it, what was important is to try to be, uh, to create a plan that can go ahead and um, seamlessly uh, and think of, think about integrating cross modes on the surface uh, level, what what key issues we need to do to ultimately unlock our our um, transportation system better connect people to opportunity of all incomes uh, uh, and ultimately enable folks to be able to access destinations that are important for our region to thrive, whether it be a job and education or other essential services. Um, so those are the goals that we set out for. You know, we, we uh, worked with uh, three of our CEOs uh, from our board, um, Ken Samet of MedStar Health, Mark Weinberger of Ernst & Young and uh, Tom Farrell of Dominion Energy. They led the initiative and we had other national experts, former uh, U.S. Department of Transportation officials, state officials uh, and the like, helping guide and steer the work. You know, what we ultimately set out for uh, was to uh, unlock our transportation system, better connect the region with faster commutes. Uh, improving transportation options and providing more access to jobs, culture, and entertainment. These, we feel, are the hallmarks that make our region a great place uh, to live, work, and build a business. Um, and if we can go ahead and implement, that's where we're at now, working in partnership with with those uh, stakeholders throughout the region, we've got a great chance to um, uh, transform our region's trajectory. Okay, great. And and so, uh, could you maybe describe some of the if if there you have any stories yet? I know I know the blueprint is is pretty fresh. Um, any stories of implementing uh, or making progress uh, since the the blueprint has rolled out? Certainly, certainly. Yeah. I, I'm going to go ahead and step back to maybe one of the more historic successes that we've seen. We released the blueprint in fall 2018, uh, but before the blueprint was released, we took action to secure dedicated funding uh, with partners, uh, business advocates, and the like uh, to secure dedicated money for our transit system here in the Washington, D.C. region. Um, the continued decline of that transit system makes the, the, the effort that we're setting out to try to achieve uh, all the harder. Uh, that transit system moves over 600,000 people every day. Um, our federal uh, transit administration 
had called it a dumpster fire. Um, for 40 years, we had tried to uh, secure dedicated money so that we can go ahead and recapitalize the system and return it to not only a state of good repair, but international leading uh, uh, position. Um, we worked uh, from Baltimore to Richmond, working with partners, elected leaders, uh, and the like in all three of the capitals uh, for the jurisdictions, DC, uh, Annapolis, Maryland, and Richmond, Virginia, to make a, a shared investment in the 2018 legislative session to secure $500 million in dedicated money. We've got an opportunity to transform mm. our transit system as a result. That's just one piece of it. Uh, there's certainly more mm. work that needs to be done, whether it be unlocking uh, some, some key highway bottlenecks through uh, what we call performance-driven tolling. Performance-driven tolling is a tool that can allocate fees to vehicles with one driver, which creates incentives for drivers to carpool, use public transport, or drive in non-peak periods. As a result, congestion is reduced, speeds are increased, and reliability of roads improves. The Greater Washington Partnership released a report about their use of this tool. You can find it in our show notes. We've got a robust rail network, whether it be commuter or inner city uh, rail options in our region. Yet it, it has key bottlenecks that date back more than 100 years, some all the way to the Civil War era. Wow. Uh, We've got to go ahead and make some major investments in there so that we've got some redundancy in the system and the ability for people to get to destinations by more than one transportation options. These are critical, uh, important. So the blueprint uh, includes seven solution areas with 20 distinct actions uh, to transform the region's transportation system. We look at everything from inner city and commuter rail to improving our roadway and trail networks to creating uh, high-performing public transit systems in each of our three uh, major metro areas, look, taking a look at what our own employers can do uh, through uh, employer mobility solutions, making best-in-class uh, efforts in that space. In the U.S., and, uh, we've got a, 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 a challenge uh, overcoming historic uh, decisions and barriers uh, to providing equal access to opportunity, physical access, and that's one of our key solution areas, making sure that uh, folks of all income levels uh, can, can uh, benefit from the decisions that are being made in the transportation space. And then the final two are looking at enabling a technology-driven future, whether it be autonomous vehicles, smart traffic signals, or just better utilization of data. And then finally, uh, we need to reform a few governance structures and then ultimately increase some transportation revenues to really uh, unlock and, and um, move this transportation system forward. Mm, okay, great. Thank you. And, and I'm, I'm curious to, to know, um, uh, obviously, within those seven solution areas and the respective actions, there, there's, um, you know, tons of detail that will be re represented there. But um, could you uh, describe, it? Are, are there uh, commitments uh, like financial commitments from uh, employers uh, that are built in into this. You mentioned the 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 pretty substantial accomplishment of the five hundred million across three three different uh, governments. Um, yeah. what, what what's what does it look like uh, from from a private money perspective? I guess one of the things I'm I'm curious about is um, you know other other parts of the world and, and Canada being usually one of them. Um, 
the these kinds of solutions are almost entirely funded um, through uh, through public money. Um, but you know, recently going to places like Detroit and Cincinnati and and some of their uh, light rail systems, um, there's there's a, a great influx of of uh, corporate money that's helping to address these issues. And, and from the the genesis story of the partnership itself, there's there's a real civic awareness uh, of of the the employers that that are are part of the partnership can you maybe talk about the 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 mix of uh public and private money and how that uh, is anticipated to shape up uh you know all aligning with with the blueprint that you've created Certainly, certainly. You know, I think uh, what what we the American model for for investing in our infrastructure system is not all too different from Canada. Um, there are a uh, few projects I think of of uh, that that we're going to be uh, expecting significant private dollars. You know, there's certainly always opportunities to go down that path. Um, there are certainly public-private partnerships that are being formed, whether it be a tolling structure. There's a transit, a light rail transit line in, in Maryland called the Purple Line. But these are more your traditional public-private partnership uh, models. Now, I think what we've looked at it and, and what we think that the employers have the responsibility and the opportunity to is what can they do themselves to try to mitigate um, the demands that they place uh, through their employers' commuting patterns on the transportation systems, in, in particular the roadway network. Because in, in our region, uh, peak congestion is, is becoming unbearable, especially in the Washington, D.C. metro, as well as Baltimore. Um, and that congestion at peaks are typically when folks are commuting to and from work. So if we can mitigate a nudge or incent a few folks, few percentage points uh, of commuters traveling to work sites to shift their modes of transportation, move it back in the daytime, or take uh, a, a trip with a few other folks in a car, we've got a real opportunity to meaningfully uh, change our transportation system's congestion levels, our commuting patterns, uh, and do it in a way that uh, we could see some positive benefits in the near term at a, at a reasonably low cost. Um, this is an opportunity for the employers to lean in and, and do their part. Uh, I would also say there's there's opportunities in terms of where employers decide to site their jobs. Um, take, for ex example, Amazon. Amazon recently announced that they're going to uh, locate uh, their headquarters in Arlington and Alexandria, just across the river from Washington, D.C. One of their key priorities was that they wanted it to be adjacent to transit-rich uh, walkable destinations. By locating there, you've got an ability for not just a, a wider set of transportation options to access the destination, whether it be vehicle or transit, but also a, likely a more diverse set of, of talent, uh, uh, of incomes and race that could access it because you've given them more than one opportunity uh, by transport to be able to access the destination. So that's the opportunity of, of both educating and raising and advocating that employers also uh, think about how they cite or where they cite um, uh, their jobs because that has an impact both on uh, folks being able to access the job but also overall ridership of our transit system and the like. Tremendous. Okay, so uh, one of the things I'm, I, uh, you, you've spoken uh, to it in a, in a few different ways, I think, but I'm, I'm just curious if, if you could describe how this blueprint is different 
uh, either from well, let's let's maybe not not say the development of because I think the story of the 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 uh, employers and and entrepreneurs coming together. I think that story is is pretty. Uh, pr- you, you explained it really well, and it's pretty clear. Um, how does the is the resulting blueprint? How would you say it differs from something if let's say the state governments got together and put a blueprint for. Uh, regional mobility together. What what would be the key differences uh, in the resulting plan going forward? Yeah, I, I mean, I think what's really important here is to recognize that most plans, whether it be at a local level, say a city or a county, or a metropolitan planning organization, our regional planning bodies, their footprints are just f- far smaller than ours. Uh, our state's plans don't go across borders. When the demands of uh, the commuter, the consumer, uh, ultimately go across the river uh, or across borders, our plans unfortunately don't. And that friction point uh, is what we're trying to ultimately plan for and overcome. Take, for example, and this is really important for our region's employers, Capital One is a member of our board. They're located, headquartered in, in Northern Virginia. They are the largest employer in Richmond, Virginia. Uh, the importance of that connectivity from the headquarters to the employment base and Richmond is important for them to be able to grow in our region. If that connection doesn't exist, if, if it's unreliable and congested, if they can't get there by more than one trip option, Capital One may look to go to a different uh, or, or grow in a different region of the U.S. Or, or a different area of the world. And that's not what we're looking for in terms of our economic growth and productivity. We want to maintain the job growth here. And, it, and that is an example. Northrop Grumman is another one. They're based in Northern Virginia. They're the largest employer in Anne Arundel County, which houses uh, the state capital for Maryland, Annapolis. Um, they're looking at it not necessarily as a jurisdiction by jurisdiction transportation plan, but how can we uh, seamlessly connect our transportation assets and make sure that our governance and our funding models uh can actually proactively overcome some jurisdictional barriers. Okay, great. Now, I th- think it's a really interesting and exciting story because uh, uh, previous episodes of the podcast, we've talked with folks about um, whether it's an, an individual citizen or a corporation, how um, things tend to trend a little bit, have been trending a little bit towards uh, kind of like a vending machine approach to government, right? We pay our, we pay our corporate taxes, uh, we pull a lever and we get what we want. Uh, and what I think the partnership really uh, represents and is so exciting is um, act and proactive planning and and conversation and gathering of people uh, to address solutions instead of the pointing fingers. Well, you haven't done this. Uh, you know, this metro system's a dumpster fire. You should fix it. To actually gather and 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 take an active role in the solution. So I think that's really really exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, so. One one question uh, I was curious about is is having gone through the experience that you have uh, to date with the partnership and the blueprint. Um, if if there are folks listening out there that are grappling with regional uh, planning issues, um, what what would be some key lessons learned uh, that you've gained over over your time so far? Yeah, well, I mean, I think one one thing that's really important is that. Um, You've got to be able to prioritize investments and 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 ultimately uh, uh, figure out what what is the most important priorities to uh, to achieve the goals and the outcomes for with which you're trying to to go forward. Not everybody was bought into uh, the blueprint. There were certain folks that are are opposed to 
uh, roadway widening conversations. There are other folks that were uh, um, seeking uh, additional bridges in the planning process. We're not opposed to the positions with which they took, but at the end of the day, there's more in common with which we're, we're trying to achieve. Um, so uh, working together to figure out where that commonality is and making sure that we're in co constant com communication uh, to try to address and tackle those areas that we see uh, is important. For example, uh, the individuals that maybe uh, are, are not supportive of our efforts to uh, price uh, certain roadway assets to better manage the facility, we see eye to eye, we're in lockstep to try to create a world-class transit plan for Baltimore. Hmm. Baltimore hasn't had a transit, a long-range transit vision for a quarter of a century. That's not best practice. Mm -hmm. Getting that right is going to be critically important to making sure that we can go ahead and grow Baltimore's system, better connect uh, its residents to jobs and opportunity, and enable the region to compete not just with folks on the Northeast Corridor in the U.S., but also keep compete against our friends in Canada and around the world. Another another lesson is just simply that the, the business community um, in our region, the, the leading employers, the CEOs, have not been uh, at the table in a predictable way for years. Uh, in talking to a few elected officials that have been around for some time, they indicate that the last time that the leading CEOs leaned in was in the late 1980s, early 1990s, when we built out uh, our metro system here in Washington, D.C. Uh, and over that time frame, uh, the system declined. Uh, there wasn't the political consensus on how to to overcome these these challenges, and and um, you know we were able to lean in last year, not just with the business community but others, so ultimately overcome our historic challenges and hopefully put the system back onto a state of good repair. Um, you know, working with the employers, the leading employers, and making sure that they understand the importance of uh, the transportation system, not just to their bottom line but also to the overall quality of life for the region is important. And then making sure that they're ready to be uh, advocates and do their part as well is important. Okay, terrific. And and uh, so one of the the things that we've talked about with a lot of our guests, um, it's been it's in this is an interesting conversation just in terms of scale alone, um, the the complexity and magnitude of the region that you're uh, working on and planning for is is pretty can can seem pretty uh, daunting, I imagine. Uh, uh -huh. But but one of the one of the things that uh, we're always curious about is is how this translates to the life of the average citizen. Uh, so the citizen in, in your region, uh, you just mentioned quality of life. Can you, can you maybe describe the, some of the day-to-day -day quality of life improvements that, that are anticipated through the result of the efforts of the partnership and the, and the blueprint itself? Yeah, I will give you a, a, a real life experiment that happened last <laughs> week. We have uh, a system that is largely built up for the vehicle uh, and our beltway last week had a, a uh, uh, oil tanker spill over and block one side of the interstate uh, for 12 hours. Uh, commutes that normally take 45 minutes took upwards of five hours for folks to get home. The, the impact felt was not just acutely felt around the bridge, but it went miles and miles away. Uh, tens of miles away from the site, and people were impacted, real lives were felt. 
um, that's just an example of the lack of uh, the fragility of our system mm -hmm. because we haven't thought about how to uh, incent or encourage or invest in more than one transportation option. We can't um, continue to get by with just one option. We need that redundancy. And, and you know, that to me is, is a prime example. We've been talking about replacing and expanding that bridge and making other investments, say, in our rail system for decades, that bridge has been a main priority for two of our more populated counties for decades, but we have not seen much progress. We currently have two governors that want to fix that bridge within their time in office. We've got a great opportunity. They haven't inked the deal and said that they're going to do it. And I think that that pressure, both from the business side and others in the community, uh, is important to make sure that the deal's done and that we can go ahead and improve the transportation system. And, and try to limit the ability for one uh, crash accident like that to happen and ultimately uh, ruin one's day. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I think it's, it's um, in addition to um, the, the economic cost that, that the blueprint uh, does an excellent job of, of laying out in terms of the, the inefficiencies of a mobility system. Uh, you know, you, you spoke to it. Places like, or employers rather, like Amazon, um, are looking for those kinds of elements to locate uh, because they are attentive to the quality of life of their their people. And so, mm -hmm. those it's it's not a. Uh, I think uh, in previous generations of uh, city and region building, I think those are perhaps seen often as uh, either or propositions. But now they they are increasingly seeming to come together in the minds of increasing numbers of folks, which is which is really encouraging to get these solutions that may have been on the books for decades uh, actually moving forward. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Definitely, definitely. Okay, so uh, it's there's obviously been a lot of momentum and a lot of uh, great progress happening. Uh, what's next for the, the partnership, the region, and the blueprint? Perfect question. You know, when we put together the blueprint, uh, it was never the intent for us to, to put together a plan and, and, and allow it to sit on the shelf. We're a group that's really focused on uh, creating um, uh, plans and visions, but then also executing and creating results, meaningful results. And so that's what we're doing right now. We're rolling up our sleeves uh, to uh, lean in on key issues, whether it be replacing a, a the Civil War era tunnel that goes underneath Baltimore, uh, uh, or expanding a bridge that goes across both, uh, or across the Potomac River connecting Virginia to the district. Um, these are important projects that need to get done, uh, and, and we're leaning in uh, and doing our part uh, to see results. I'd say to, to the listeners, stay tuned. Um, you know, we hope that uh, we can go ahead and turn around and transform our transportation system uh, and be uh, a, a national and international success story uh, in, in the process. Awesome. That's, uh, that's an awesome way to finish it. <laughs> okay. Um, so the last, uh, last question, uh, I, I have for you today is, uh, one that we ask, uh, every guest, um, can you share a city that you love and why you love it? Yeah, I personally am a big fan of all of our cities in the capital region, so I'm not going to pick my favorite one here. <laughs> That'll get you into uh, trouble. You could go elsewhere, hey? <laughs> <laughs> but I, you know, my favorite non-regional city in the U.S. that I'm a fan of is Portland, Oregon. 
they do a great job of planning and and uh, looking at investing in all modes of transportation. Uh, and then outside of here, my, my favorite city to, to visit and, and take in the transportation system is London. Uh, they are very innovative and um, they just have some lovely train stations. <laughs> I find it fascinating how a group of private companies came together to invest in transportation. I look forward to learning more about how this blueprint unfolds in the coming years. If you'd like to learn more about the Greater Washington Partnership and the Blueprint for Regional Mobility, check out our show notes. 360 Degree City is created by our team at Intelligent Futures. To learn more about the work we do, go to intelligentfutures.ca. I'm John Lewis. Thanks for stopping by.